you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and today I'm excited to welcome Howie Ferguson from the Construction Owners Association of America. Uh, America. to the show. Welcome to the show, Howie. Thanks, BJ. Happy to be here, man. Uh, excited to tell you that you are, um, Howie brings a, a Navy background to, uh, to the show and he is our first outside of our, our, our producer. Iron Mike is a, uh, is a Marine. Howie is our first Ooh, wow. Navy guest. So, uh, so you get that moniker. Welcome to the show, Howie. So you're an equal opportunity podcast. We are very, very diverse opinions here. Okay, excellent. <laughs> well, to, truth be told, if I remember right, you're a West Point grad. I'm not an Annapolis grad. I'm University of Florida grad, uh, and not even ROTC. I did, uh, you know, app basically in my last year of college, uh, committed to the Navy Civil Engineer Corps CBs. Yeah, uh, you probably probably know about them. Um, but yeah, happy to be your token Navy guy. <laughs> the first, the first. Um, so Howie, how we start the show and I, I want to tell our guests, this is actually the first time Howie and I are meeting. Uh, we've been introduced by a previous guest, Matt Handel, and I was really intrigued and we figure instead of doing a pre-meet and, and figure out, you know, get to know each other, let's get to know each other on here. Uh, so Howie's going to talk to us about the COAA, but before we go there, Howie, tell us about Howie Ferguson and how you landed at the COAA. Yeah, and it's it's relevant because it actually helps explain COA, uh, which is what we call it, or COA, uh, even better. Because uh, when I explain what I did before COA, then it makes COA much easier to understand. So I wanna, I've already kind of buried the lead and mentioned University of Florida graduate, proud Gator, twice, um, civil engineering degree, but co-opt uh, during, during undergrad in the 80s and, and knew I really didn't want to be a civil engineer, but it was a great foundational uh, education, problem solving, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and again, mentioned this already, committed to the Navy to serve for four years, uh, my last year of college uh, in the Civil Engineer Corps, ended up being in for nine and a half-ish years, uh, three tours, uh, Portsmouth Naval Shipyard up in Maine, submarine base, um, CBs, NMCB-1 in Gulfport, Mississippi, that's for those who don't know, the Navy's deplorable construction units. Um, kind of famous. John Wayne actually did a movie way back called The Fighting Seabees. We're proud of that. Uh, and then finished up, uh, well, went to grad school back at UF and then went to the Kings Bay submarine base. So I somehow submarines kept coming up for me. Um, but doing construction stuff, that's in southeast Georgia. Uh, got out and had started a family, uh, two, two girls. I'm a girl dad and uh, ready to stop moving around BJ. And so I went to go work for my alma mater. I ended up being at University of Florida for almost 19 years as a senior project manager, assistant director, other collateral, un unpaid collateral duties. I know you're <laughs> aware of what those are, um, right? Do more with less, that kind of thing. Uh, but loved it. Uh, got to do a lot of different project types as you know, so I'm working for the university, representing the university on a really nice variety of projects. I wasn't locked into one type, like just athletics or just residence facilities. Um, great experience. Um, 
just I had a blast and it was really cool to contribute tangibly to a place that I cared about. That was nice. Great place to raise a family too. Um, I got to I got to ask yeah. with the sports situation there, healthy budgets across the board. Pretty healthy. Um, I never did any of the athletics projects. Okay. Um, kind of, you know, I'll be a fan over here and day job over here. Um, but yeah, they, they've always had for at least for my going back to early eighties, it, it was more than just football, really good, everything. And it was great back to the girl dad thing. We took our girls to everything PJ and it was back then it was, everything was free. We went to volleyball and softball and they ended up playing sports too. So it was it, college towns. Everybody knows are a great place to live. If you have a, a young family. So it was, it was a lot of fun. That's yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. And during that time at UF is when I got introduced to COA or COAA. Um, so, uh, circa 2000 or 2001, I was asked to present at a COA event in New Orleans and thought, okay, sure, why not? Professional development. Um, what I was struck by is the seriousness, not in an unfriendly or a stodgy way, but just it wasn't a boondoggle. It was folks that were taking very seriously the idea of leading projects better. Um, kind of got hooked quickly, found out there was a Florida chapter. And got involved with that chapter and then if you and sure you have bj gotten involved with any kind of volunteer thing there's a slippery slope and before you know <laughs> it I, hey i have a second job called coa that i'm once again not being paid for but labor of love really enjoyed it um got involved on the as I said chapter level eventually the national level fast forward to 2018 um left uf after a great run uh wife and i are from pensacola florida which is where I'm speaking to you from, even though COA is based in a suburb of Atlanta. Um, wife and I from Pensacola wanted to get home. Uh, parents getting older. We wanted to be yep. closer to, for that uh, life stuff. Um, and had no idea what the heck I was going to do for a living. Um, again, much shorter version of the story. Ended up throwing my hat in the ring for this COA executive director job. Figured, you know, I know the industry. I know what it's like to be an owner. Uh, and, and know the organization pretty well, or so I thought, um, well, it's the, you don't know what you don't know. It turns out BJ, and you, again, you may know this. I didn't, uh, there's a whole, there's tens of thousands of people in this country and probably others that make a career out of managing associations. <laughs> there's actually an association for people who manage associations. It sounds like a Seinfeld episode. It does. True. Uh, ASAE and others, uh, American Society of Association Executives. So the point is, I really didn't understand what I didn't know and uh, joined a staff that knew me as a volunteer and thought, what have they done in hiring this guy? Um, but uh, long story, once again, shorter, it has turned into a great marriage because I lean on my, we are very small staff, national organization. We only have four of us that are full time. I'll lean on those three because they're the pros when it comes to running a nonprofit. They lean on me because I speak industry. I know what it's right. like to be an owner and it's turned into a really nice marriage. Um, so that's kind of my story. That's awesome. Uh, because you talked about industries, I have to tell you, I have a classmate, Mike Nemeth, a uh, good buddy of mine. He is actually kicking around the idea of starting up and, and he's already secured the URL. Uh, he is famous for army Navy pranks and, uh, kind of spirit missions and gags. 
and and also probably the best person I know that goes from idea to implementation of like lowest viable product or or you know a proof of concept in no time flat. So he's the side hustle guy and the side hustle association of America does not exist yet, but he is about to start it. Beautiful. Why not? <laughs> exactly. If there's an association for associations, why can't there be a side hustle? That's association? right. That's right. And it, w- it would be the SHA. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right. So COA or COA, I'll, I'll, I'll try to teach myself. So I, I, I deal with this at, SAME, Society of American Military Engineers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we call it SAME. Sometimes we call it SAME. And mm-hmm. lately, I think they've been making a run at it being SAME because I've gotten corrected by different people when I'm talking about it. No, it's SAME now. Uh, so <laughs> we'll stick with COA, or I'll, I'll try to. Give us the 30-second or, or five-minute pitch on who COA is, why you exist, and, and what your mission is. Yeah, happy to. Um... It's pretty simple mission-wise, BJ. We exist uh, to help owners be better owners. Um, one element of that is to be, and, and a, maybe the first element, is to be better leaders of their projects, better planners, better executors, uh, and to have a better experience. This is tough, uh, complex work doing even small projects. Um, is It is not for the faint of heart, as you probably know. So, um there ought to be something to having a good experience, but it's really about better outcomes. Um, that's simply the mission. We do have uh, owners are our primary members. We do have service providers like your company, builders, designers, construction law attorneys, software vendors. All of these, all the players in the industry are or can be members of COA. We call those associate members. The primary thing, of course, is, is owners. Um, there's a, there's a couple of things. There's actually several, but to keep it shorter, BJ, there's a couple of things that kind of differentiate us from, as you know, SAME is a great one. And there's lots of, there's a lot of very good uh, alphabet soup in our industry, right? A lot of organizations. Uh, so what's different about COA other than the fact that it's, it's owner centric in everything? Um, well, one is there's this thing and it may sound like a, I don't know, man, what are you talking about? Drinking punch and seances around candles? No, it's nothing weird, but it's called, and it's actually trademarked, the co-away. Um, the co-away. Okay, what does that mean? Like a, like a cookbook, like a recipe for how to have projects go well? No? No, it's kind of a little bit tangible, a little bit intangible, but here's here's my way of saying, we have a, you can find it on our website. There's a whole, in fact, there's a, speaking of podcasts, one of our members and one of the creators of this concept uh, or the branding of the concept concept existed for 20 years. It just didn't have a name to go away. But anyway, he did a 30 minute solo podcast explaining in deep detail what this is all about. But here's my short, short version, BJ. It's basically, and I know you know this, our industry has struggled probably forever, but for our lifetime, our professional lifetime, it's always searching for the next thing to try to make things a little better, a little more efficient, a little more, whatever, fill in the adjective. Building information modeling, lean, prefab, IPD, all these things, they're great. They're all great. But at the end of the day, it's still people that deliver projects. Um, and so that's a, that's a piece of the co way, like believing that, that and people are not resources, as the construction industry likes to call them. They're, they're human beings. And that matters. <clears throat> the other piece, could take it a step further, 
is that the owner in particular, whether he or she knows it, kind of has a duty um, when it comes to the people uh, to set the tone. There's a culture established on a project, right? It's We're not manufacturing. I know you know this, but, but manufacturing has the, the pleasure of creating something a million times and getting it perfect. Then they mass produce it. We get one shot. One shot with this group of people, typically that's pulled together, it'll never exist again. In some cases, maybe so. But for most yeah. owners, they have to publicly procure and do all this. So it's a one-time collection of people. There absolutely is a chemistry and a culture that develops. The owner kind of needs to set the tone when it comes to how that team's going to function, uh, which doesn't mean being perfect uh, or spot on and everything is fair. It just means being aware and engaged and communicative and fair and timely these are all pieces of this thing called the co-away um and that's that's probably the number one differentiator i don't think anybody else else in the industry is emphasizing that as much as as we are um a lot of what you're talking about i i experienced so just so you know my background i my last assignment on active duty was as a resident engineer for the corps of engineers on a billion dollar construction program uh during brac base realignment and closure and our business really you know the, the vast majority of our business is planning and strategy work supporting the owner defining the project and then project management construction management program management owners rep throughout the implementation of the project so i'm i'm intrigued by this for because i think what our services do is really provide project leadership support to our owners. But going back to where things were during BRAC, mega projects and whatever the budget, def, you know, cutoff was always required a partnering session and a partnering agreement to really build the commitment between all of the parties involved, right? Multi-stakeholders, because even the Corps of Engineers was, quote, the owner in some ways to the GC, but we were actually the owner's rep to the mission that was receiving the building. So you have, you know, multi-star commands that are the end user of the product. You have the installation, who's really the landlord of the, of the real estate. You have the Corps of Engineers, who's the engineering and construction management agent. You have the GC and you have many, many, many sub-consultants and, and uh, subcontractors. So bringing all of those people together in, like you said, this is a one-time event. It's a one-time business for the next, you know, whether it's six three, months five, or three, yeah. five years. Um, this is a, this is a business. And I think this is, that's the hardest part of this business is, you're working with different personalities. You're working with different processes. My team, you know, our A team may be engaged somewhere else. And, and A team is usually defined by, you know, both people experience and the amount of time that that team has worked together from my company, right? So you have all of these different variables going on. And a lot of people take for granted that like, hey, at the end of the day, it's, it's a proposal and it's a budget and it's a project. Like that's what you're hired for construction company, just deliver the project. And, yeah. and there's just so much more to that. Right. hundred um, percent. And to, to add to it again, I know I'm preaching the choir BJ, but just so we're, this is again, kind of an offshoot of the co at least a recognition that, um, <laughs> our industry is, and we can say this as two older white dudes 
our our industry has not been the most diverse in a lot of ways uh, and i'm not being politically correct that's just fact and we haven't been the best when it comes to we're pretty testosterone laden you know uh, get it done all that kind of stuff which is cool it's good it's nice to be you know let's let's charge and get stuff done but sometimes when that is at the cost of of again recognizing that there's humans involved understanding that people bring different strengths and weaknesses to the table valuing soft skills don't like the term but it's it's a real thing people skills communication skills um your recent guest brent darnell that's his specialty like that kind of stuff this is our industry is very slow to come around to that i kind of feel like koa was out in front of that and talking about that kind of stuff 10 years ago 12 years ago before it was cool uh, and now you know there's a there's a pretty significant mental health issue in our industry something else again it's not real pleasant to talk about you got to talk about it uh and so anyway all those kinds of things um all that stuff matters people matter that's kind of what we're all about um two follow-on questions you're stoking all kinds of curiosity in me number one is is there a type of owner that is more involved with your the co with coa than other owners meaning like yeah. university public university is the kind of the the target or is it all public agencies it actually the target is every owner public or private okay or corporate yeah but but the reality is the demographics break roughly down like this at least in terms of the top three members and we have we have plenty of folks that engage with us attend events they just don't choose to become members and that's fine um but those who are members owners again we have designers and builders and folks like you that are members too but just for owners uh the biggest chunk is higher ed uh that's small community colleges all the way up to university systems and everything in between my old stomping grounds is a longtime member um but, but so is the university system of wisconsin etc et that's about 44 45 percent of our owner members the next chunk is government uh and that's everything from city county to state to the feds not the dod we haven't been able to interest them bj but gsa uh which is still i think up there in terms of it used to be the world's largest buyer of design and construction services i don't know if they still are but they're up there um all 11 regions in their central office in dc they're a member and then the third biggest uh piece of the owner member pie is healthcare which is can be kind of quasi tweener some public yeah. some private some on the fence kind of um and then there's several sectors you know that follow k-12 you think about school districts usually any kind of serial builder owners mm -hmm. um interesting trend recently and i don't know that any of us can take credit for it but we're really excited speaking of diversity of a different kind uh, and i mentioned public private so two recent in the last six months uh companies that you know at first you may go why would they join well actually you know they probably build a lot of stuff don't they amazon and chick-fil-a huh. uh both became coa members um which we're pretty excited about because again we kind of feel like since we're not talking amazon's a great example um so what are they building well distribution centers data centers think of everywhere. Amount of data yeah. yeah everywhere like google and so some of that is they're pretty guarded it's downright secret like you know top secret cia classified proprietary 
And so they kind of might look at COA like, well, no, no, you guys are all about sharing and best practices. And, and what I tell folks like that is, well, that's cool. Uh, first of all, you don't have to share any of your stuff. Second of all, no offense, but we don't really care about the details of your data center and how you cool them or whatever your right. secret stuff is. That's kind of not what we're, we're typically not super technical focused. Some of our content at a, at a local or a, a national event or a training session could, could touch, but usually it's more about the common thread things that really have nothing to do with what type of project or even the size. Um, so in a way, we're kind of like building type and project delivery method agnostic. We're kind of just talking about the, the common thread stuff. Project leadership. Sense. It does make go. sense. We talk about it a lot. Uh, and, and it's really one of the reasons for this podcast is to, to just help, help owners uh, be better project leaders. Because sub, uh, consulting side... You know, the support side can only be as good as the owner and their organization and helping them lead in their organization and the continuity inside of that organization and all, all the different hurdles that that owners deal with. And I know them well because of my experience at the core. Um, we're trying to help them improve. So this is this is right up that that alley. Uh, follow up question, public infrastructure, any infrastructure agencies, airports, highways, Airports are a definite target because we kind of feel like they're a really interesting mix of horizontal and vertical. Yeah. Quasi-public in some cases. I know yep. they're not all the same. Always renovating buildings, the bigger ones, you know, the DFWs and O'Hare's and Atlantis. Um, and, and to that point, we actually have one of our training sessions scheduled at an airport industry construction strategy summit in Orlando because we think there's a good fit there. Pure horizontal, like departments of transportation, BJ, not so much. Okay. Uh, and that's not uh, like we're not, not excluding, just haven't really resonated. Same thing with utilities. We have a couple of utilities, which again, that's kind of an interesting, like, is that horizontal, vertical? Yeah, a little bit of both maybe because uh, they have plants yeah. and you know that kind of stuff. Um, but for the most part, uh, we're, we don't have a lot of folks from, from those, those horizontal or hybrid uh, kind of sectors. But, but we kind of think because of what I said before, Almost any owner would be a, a really good fit. I'm biased, but but that's kind of our thought. Well, I think, to, you know, you started out by saying that you got exposure at the New Orleans by speaking and it's professional development. And I, I think all professional development, uh, especially from a leadership standpoint, is good professional development. Just meeting with other leaders, the, the power of that network and being able to bounce ideas off of other people that are in the owner's seat and dealing with these complex project teams. Uh, the second question I had was, do you have any studies or statistics? I'm sure you have anecdotal evidence. The ROI on soft skills in project success. Ooh. Man, would that be good? Uh, short answer is no. Yes, anecdotal. You, you hit it. You pr probably knew the answer, BJ. But I'm thinking about uh, some partnerships we have, even if they're informal, but uh, the folks at Dodge, Steve Jones, those guys do the Dodge smart market reports, mm -hmm. great people. Uh, we actually have a, a assigned a cross-marketing thing with ENR. Uh, we recently joined on to a Charles Pankow Institute research project. Those kind of, all three of those actually, Dodge, Pankow, ENR would be probably very interested in a, in a survey right along those lines. I wish I had that kind of data, BJ, but since I don't, 
Uh, I know we haven't been a part of creating anything, or I haven't even seen anything like that. But anecdotally, it's a slam dunk. I mean, it's it's just no way that being more collaborative, being more transparent to the extent that you can. You know, yeah. there's obviously some limitations there, but all those sorts of things, um, there's just no downside. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, it's just. It, I, I use the term, it, a core value at MCFA is fun, right? We don't want people that are here to just trade time for money. We want people that are really engaged and enjoying and passionate about the work. And I think that the same goes in a project team. And if you create the right culture on that project team, and at, I'm, I'm enamored by what you, what you said, I've thought about it before, but a, a project team, especially a capital project team is a mini business unit or a mini, you know, it's a mini team that's doing this for, you know, once and only once and, um, mobilizing that, leading that, setting the right tone, having the right, you know, leader in the room as the owner, um, is really, really critical. Awesome. Yeah. And the other thing, sorry to circle back BJ, but, but I think that the adjective I left out and all that, I think I pretty much covered it, but there's also something that we think, and this isn't, this isn't Howie, this is COA. I'm speaking for the organization. Um, there's something to being having some level of humility that kind of helps. And, and, my, and, you know, there's could be a negative connotation. There's not meant to be. Um, and it doesn't mean being clueless, you know, wherever someone might want to go with that negatively. Mm -mm. No, I'm saying like the idea that he with the gold rules, that doesn't work real well when it comes to project stuff. I mean, you can technically, you can get away with it. BJ, if your company is working for me and I'm still an owner, I can say, you can say, well, Howie, why are we doing this? Well, because I said so, you know, like, right. like something your parent would say, maybe. Okay, well, that's cool, but it might empower BJ a little bit more to understand why. Uh, maybe a little more buy-in, a little more ownership, or tell him why we can't do this. Um, anyway, there, there's something about the slightly more humble owner. No data. Same thing with your other question, maybe even related. I don't know. My experience is that that hundred percent kind of helps. Uh, you kind of humanize yourself and, and say, look guys, I mean, I'm just giving an example, but like, look, I'd love to be able to do whatever it is. We're in design phase. We want to do this. We want to zig instead of zag. We want to hurry up or we want to slow down or whatever. We can't, but here's why. Okay. Uh, I can't do this because of this and this and this, at, at least my team now understands that I'm with you guys, right? We're in the foxhole together. I just can't get this done. Let's see if we can come up with some other way to do it. Yeah. That takes a level of humility that some owners are not aware that maybe would help. Well, and, and again, the, the antithesis of that is the egotistical hard driving. I know everything. Uh, and I'm, I talk a lot about stewardship on, on the podcast. And sometimes people think that by being a hard ass, you're being, you, you know, you're managing the resources tighter and that's how, that's how you're going to protect the owner. And it's, it's really just the opposite because you create mountains out of molehills on every little issue instead of collaboratively keeping a project moving and, you know, give a little, get a little the whole way. Um, and you know, I, I was taught very early on construction management 101, settle what you can in the field because it only gets expensive the higher up it goes for approval. Um, because yeah. then more sides getting involved and more side, you know, the corporate sees an opportunity to, to hit the owner over the head. The owner sees a, a corporate trying to hit them over the head. So we'll see in court and the whole project goes, right. Goes off the tracks. Exactly. Um, 
Well, and, and kind of related, kind of, well, it's related. It's not just directly, but there's this anecdotal, but it's relevant, BJ. A few years ago when I was still a member and on the faculty of our, we have this thing, another kind of unique thing uh, COA has called the Owner Training Institute. It's not unique to have training. Everybody in our industry has that, but it, it is unique to have uh, courses with the content geared towards owners and the content was developed by owners. I helped develop a couple of the classes when I was an owner and helped present them. Um, all these classes, by the way, are presented by an owner and a design professional and a builder, which is pretty cool. We take this collaboration thing seriously. We're not just gonna you know, speak from on high. We're gonna give you all the perspectives. Anyway, I had an experience several years ago, a decade ago uh, with an owner uh, who did not have that sense of humility and frankly had been burned and had some battle scars and I get it. Um, and we were, we were kicking off uh, an all day eight hour class, uh, one of these OTI or training institute classes on managing the design process, which a lot of owners struggle with. Um, especially if you came from the construction side and you're like, man, I don't know what these crazy architects are doing in this design <laughs> phase, but you know, it's kind of like dark art, dark magic or something. So some owners, when they transition from the construction side to being an owner, they struggle with that. So we invented this class and it seems to help. So anyway, we're going around the room introducing ourselves and we say for each person, hey, what's your role, what's your background, blah, blah, blah. And tell us one thing you'd like to get out of this class. And this guy who was, I don't know, probably late 40s, so he's pretty experienced. He said, I'll tell you what I want to get out of this class. I want to finally arm myself with some tools to get these damn architects to do what we tell them, not what they think they, you know, they want to do. So. Okay, a little anger there. I like that. So I didn't pounce on it. I just put it in the put it in the pocket. Come back to it later. Maybe a couple hours into that course, we have this. You know, it's kind of a PowerPoint based, but we do a lot of discussions, small group stuff. We had a whole section on owners knowing thyself and kind of looking in the mirror, because a lot of times problems start with it. it may not be you personally, but your organization and understanding what those weaknesses are is part of being a good owner. Right. And helping your team navigate through. Look, we have a real pain in the ass design review and approval process, guys. Sorry. But here's what here's how we're going to do this. I've been through it. I understand the players. We're going to we're going to we're going to build in the time, and the schedule. We're, we got it. You know, you're communicating with your team. So anyway, we got to that section and I circle right back to this guy. And I could say this as a fellow owner. I'm like, hey, Mr. Smith or whatever his name was. Um, you know, that whole thing about flaming torches. Let's get those architects. This is what I'm talking about. Are you sure that it's really on them? Are you sure that maybe it's not on you, maybe, or your organization? Maybe you didn't really clarify the goals, the scope, the contractual, whatever, whatever the thing right. is. Look in the mirror was the message. And by the end of the class, he was kind of like, I got to admit, man, yeah, you're probably right a little bit. <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of part of what we do as co. We can kind of say that owner to owner or recovering owner that's the running joke i'm a recovering owner right. like i should have the aa thing on but um <laughs> but anyway that that's kind of you know hard tough love thing is relevant i think that's a um a bumper sticker right there look in the mirror um for all leaders uh jumping to you personally hardest challenge you've had to navigate or leadership lesson from a construction project Yeah, and for our audience, there was no prep time or no. <laughs> this is completely unrehearsed. Um, I'm going to sound like a game show contestant, BJ. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, hardest challenge, whether it's a project challenge or a leadership challenge, you've had to navigate. 
probably any of several. They're all tied for first uh, in my UF days. Um, and I love that institution. But higher ed project management is truly our useless phrase, not for the faint of heart, because there's a lot of chefs in the kitchen, a lot of folks who may have PhDs, but really know nothing about what we do and yet kind of think they do. So herding cats, um, making decisions, um, getting folks who are used to being in charge and calling the shots uh, to buy into a collaborative process. So there's not a single war story, BJ. It's just an amalgamation of most of my UF projects where it, it really required, uh, I had to learn on the job some serious soft skills to, to bring together leaders, again, who are used to calling shots to not only get them to agree this process, but to kind of trick them a little bit. I don't hope that none of them are listening, but kind of trick them into thinking it was their idea to begin with yeah. kind of thing. I, um, so sorry, it's not a specific war story, but it was a recurring challenge. Well, I, and I think that that challenge is probably what most owners deal with. I mean, w whether it's healthcare facility where there's a lot of medical egos that want what they want inside that hospital, but they don't understand the process to get, get you there. And to, you know, anybody, anybody who approaches, um, complex commercial organizational construction as if it's your kitchen renovation, right? We can't just start, we can't just start taking down the cabinets today. Right. Right. And, and think about our poor friends. I mentioned GSA is uh, all the regions remembers. You know what they built a lot of? courthouses you know who the users of those are judges judges they are right <laughs> up there with, right up there with the, with the uh orthopedic surgeons so yeah that's and 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 back to where we started the coa way the coaa way it's it's a people business it's it's people on on our side dealing with people on you know inside of their organizations trying to trying to keep the bus moving um Couple rapid fire questions. Any current events or, or public slash society issue you're heavily involved in? Well, I would just say this is, I don't know if this directly answers it, BJ, but I'm going to go bigger picture if that's okay. And yeah. you tell me if it's not. Absolutely. But I think uh, what COA is, tr is finding its way on, again, humility. We don't have the answers, but we know that owners have to be involved um, in this very serious, and it's not new, it's been going on for years this serious um, shortage we have in the skilled workforce in our industry. Um, I'm guessing, knowing a little bit about your culture and your company's culture, you guys are probably involved in some way with that, but it's tricky for owners because they think, well, you know, we're not the ones recruiting you know, trades or it's not, not our job. You're the contractor, go get them. Uh, I mean, kind of, I hate the phrase, but it kind of does take a village. I think yeah. all of us have a duty and it starts, you, you want to go really big picture. Think about when we were kids, um, even our, when our kids were kids, construction is really cool when you're a little kid. If you're a boy, especially, you get Tonkas and Legos and Erector sets and you know, boy or girl, whatever. It's fun. It's cool. It's, 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 it's yay, mom and dad, we're happy. At some point, something happens and there, a stigma is attached to this idea of being one who uses your hands and builds. And it becomes, well, that's where the stupid kids go. Like, I don't know, is that middle school? Is that I don't know, something. And and so we've got to, that's part of the problem. Like, we've got to destigmatize it. And I was involved with something years ago, BJ, and we, COA now has a, a great uh, friendly relationship with the ACE Mentor Program, which you're probably aware of. 
it, it basically exists to encourage junior high and high school kids to consider the construction trades as a career uh, for the reasons I just said. But uh, I got to tour an ACE mentor program group from Orlando around one of my jobs at UF. Had no idea what I was doing. I was like, who are these kids? Like, oh, okay. So I had like a PowerPoint ready for them because that's me. I'm a dork. And I'm like two <laughs> slides into this thing and I could see them. I could read my audience. They're all like dozing off, talking to each other like, oh my God. So I said, okay, forget the PowerPoint. Let's just go walk the site. Well, when we started doing that and I started explaining some of the jobs you could have, they were fascinated to know that that crane operator I pointed to a person that wasn't sitting in the cab at the time. I said, but the guy that drives that, he's looking at a heads up display like an F-14. And he makes, and I said some figure that was accurate at the time. And they're like, he makes how much an hour? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, and see that guy over there on the laptop? He basically is driving the whole project because he's in charge of the building automation system. So it's a lot of programming and writing code and stuff. They're like, guys on laptops have something to do with construction? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that kind of thing, long answer to your short question. No, I, I think that's an awesome issue. And and we are, you know, I, I've talked about the uh, Infrastructure and Jobs Investment Act. It's like, it's only as good as the, the workforce. Who's going to build it? That's ready to build it. <laughs> And if we don't have that workforce back to stewardship, we we won't be very good stewards of the public investment if we if we're not prepared as an industry. And that industry is everybody: owners, designers, constructors, blue collar, white collar workforce. I mean, it it takes a village. You, um, you may know, BJ. I know I don't. Maybe maybe some tiny fraction of that trillion dollar, whatever that thing is. Maybe they're devoting a little bit of that to CTE, career technical education. Here's hoping. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, as I think you know, we're we're working on helping transitioning veterans come into the construction industry um, because I think that it's it's one it's a career path that aligns a lot with military minded. You know, you can you can work your way up from field inspector to superintendent to project manager, project engineer, um, and I, I think that it's also being a steward of public dollars um, is kind of a next mission, a mission after the mission. And it's a good place for you to transfer that mission oriented, you know, headspace to an, another thing that our nation really needs rebuilding our infrastructure. Yeah. Um, so we're hoping that we can help a lot of veterans transition into the industry. Uh, favorite quote. Let me get back to you, BJ. Keep going. I'm going to yeah. come up with my favorite quote. Be uh, favorite book. Oh, I got that because it's the last one I read, which is sad to say. I am, I am, uh, I admit my weaknesses. I have a stack on my dresser of books I haven't gotten to yet. Um, but the last one I read and I loved it was Blink. Uh, I think that was great, Gladwell. Great one. If I'm not, not mistaken. Yep. Uh, and just got it. So it was confirming for those who haven't read it. Um, first of all, it's a quick read, as the name might imply. That's not why it's called that. It's called that because it has to do with the idea that if you, you don't have to be a subject matter expert, but if you're pretty well-versed or more than that in a subject, 99.9% .9 of the time, your gut instinct is correct hmm. in everything, relationships, life, work, whatever. Very fascinating, though. That is like, interesting. We should be I, – I, I thought I read that, but I don't remember that. So, um, so essentially – if, if you're good enough in a industry, your gut instinct should be follow it. 
kind of. I mean, that doesn't mean you ignore metrics. I, I'm, or, I'm with you. Still team building and all of that. Um, yeah. If in doubt, like let the tiebreaker be, well, what was your first instinct? Yeah. I like that. All right. Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? Lincoln. We get a lot of Lincoln on this. Well, he's kind of hard to argue with him, man. It's like arguing with puppies or noodle salad or safety <laughs> or something, you know? Um, John Williams, the composer. Walter Payton. Oh. And I'm not even a Bears fan, but total class. He was uh, – so I'm from Philadelphia, but he was – you know those – I forget who – Franklin – probably Franklin football. Remember the – the like little helmet football uh, and, and Jersey that you would get as a kid. Oh yeah. I got a Miami dolphins one. I, I had, I had a Walter Payton one when I was four years old. Nice. And I'm a, and I'm an Eagles guy and my family's all Eagles, but Walter Payton was somebody special and a, and a phenomenal human being. Um, that they created an award. Yeah. Man. The Walter, Walter Payton man of the year award. Uh, yeah. Nice. You're the first Walter Payton on here, Paul, Walter Payton on, on the show. Interesting. And again, I have no ties to Chicago at all. Just eh. he's, a, he's a good human being. Um, last question. Well, let me, let me hit you first. Do you, do you have a quote? Stay hungry, stay foolish. Oh, Steve Jobs, right? Very. Wow. Impressive. I'm, I'm a big Steve Jobs guy. Um, that's a good one. Well, I mean, you know, foolish. You can, I, I just kind of, I think remaining a little bit childlike and curiosity and having fun and all that, like that's, that's good. That's not unprofessional. That's totally okay. agree with you. And, and it lets us look at the world from a different set of eyes, uh, which I think enables more creativity. Uh, last question, legacy. How do you want to be remembered? Somebody that gave a crap. Um, I, I've joked that I wish that could be the, the tagline of COA. It's just not, doesn't look real good in marketing copy, but, um, you know, people who give a shit or crap, sorry, you have to edit that, but, um, we won't edit serious, seriously, BJ. It's like, I think that matters a lot. I think that's, you know, there's, what's the thing about, um, showing up is half the thing. Yeah, that's true. You, you do need to you know, show up, but I think just, Give a crap, man. If you do, you're more than halfway there. We can teach you the other stuff. We can teach you this, teach that. If you care. Uh, so, yeah, I would love for people to say that he gave a crap about whatever, about parenting. I mean, I want to be a great dad, and I think I am. And, you know, I want to care about our industry and care about doing projects better and just give a crap. That goes a long way. My dad used to call it the give a shit factor. Like Beautiful. If, if you just, if you just care enough, you're going to, you're going to go places and you're going to be, you know, above a lot of people who aren't there because they give a crap. Uh, I mean, why mail it in? You know, it's, it's interesting. We could, we could have an, an entire podcast on, on why there's some places and some people that work harder to avoid working than just doing what, what's asked of them. And I have a theory on that. You didn't ask me, but I'm going to go since I, I, I failed <laughs> failed miserably in one of my earlier questions I was supposed to prepare for, I guess. But um, 
I have a theory and I don't, I think something, I think sometimes, you know, there's, there's plenty out there these days, which is good mental health, you know, and stuff, work life balance. Like we Americans take work too seriously. We know all that stuff. Okay. But I think some people may, maybe take that too far. Yeah. Um, yes, of course you need a work life balance and you need to try to stay fit and healthy and, you know, moderation and all those things mom and dad taught us, um, still apply. But gosh, when you when you're doing the the work life balance, be present, do life, live life. When you're doing it, don't be thinking about work. When you're working, work hard, give yeah. a crap. That's all. Yeah, and and maybe the the hard part is when those two things start overlapping too much because we're trying to juggle them both at the same time. That's when we become shitty at both of them, and at present company included, right? When the, well, when the iPhone's out, I'm not a great dad. Well, and and obviously COVID has just poured gas on that fire. Yeah. Right, because we're in our PJs doing Zooms. That's so. right. <laughs> That's I'm not truth. currently. We're, we're not. None of us are. Just no. for the for the record, for our audience. I don't. I don't know about Erica, but I, I know you. <laughs> All right. Um, to wrap up, is there anything you would like to say to the industry? Most of our uh, listeners are um, Society of American Military Engineers type folks, uh, so you have a new audience that you're reaching out to. And maybe some of it is there's some overlap. Maybe there should be some synergy between COA and SAME because you you are probably hitting a, a lot of the same topics. They go more technical, mm -hmm. uh, but they're made up of a lot of owners. Uh, so anything that you want to leave with uh, with our audience? Um, yeah, blatant infomercial for for COA. Check us out. We have a website, and, and it looks like. BJ already has. BJ, I think you and I are going to be following up. It sounds like we have a lot of very similar thoughts having just met. Uh, yeah. I think I can hang out with you. We will be in Baltimore, by the way, in May uh, for our national spring conference. But um, no, I, I just keep plugging. I, I think a lot of owners um, and consultants and build everybody is being that, that phrase again from my time in service in the Clinton era when it was do more with less. I hate that and and it sucks uh, and everyone seems to be really really busy just keep plugging um do your best try to give a crap um engage get involved with organizations um it doesn't have to be coa i'd love it if it were but but um there's a give back element that i think helps matters um that's it nothing no no big mountaintop kind of stuff just you know be present be, be involved and give a crap awesome Howie, we will be following up, and I did see that you're in uh, Baltimore. We will, for everybody listening, we will put all the uh, details to COA in the show notes, and uh, I am planning to be down there in Baltimore. So uh, we will see you there, Howie, and we'll see our audience there if you choose to join. Uh, thanks so much, Howie Ferguson. Yes, sir. Thanks, BJ. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite po podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Be sure to check out our website, www.mcfaglobal.com, to find out more about MCFA and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, stay in touch and have a great week. Thanks.